Today's episode contains explicit language and conversations around sex, human anatomy, menstruation, and personal experiences. We advise that you don't listen to this in the company of little ones or anyone who may be uncomfortable with these topics. Hey, sugars, come on in and take a seat. You're listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast about sex, health, and thriving. I'm your host, B. Dixon, co-founder and CEO of The Honey Pot Company. And I'm your other host, Javon Alfieri, The Honey Pot's director of digital. Ooh, now let's dig in. Hello, hello. Welcome back to The Honey Potluck. We are here for our second installment of our live podcast recording from NCAT University in celebration of Black History Month and our Reclaiming Wellness campaign in partnership with Target. As you know, we've been rolling out this event series across HBCUs this month, and we're so very eager for this conversation. The intention is that Reclaiming Wellness should continue to take shape, and all of the conversations that evolve should be also representations of the humans that we have on each of our panels. Today's Reclaiming Wellness panel is live from North Carolina Agricultural and Technological State University, aka North Carolina A&T State University, and continues our amazing conversation on reclaiming wellness with a panel that I absolutely adore. And please, 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 please tune in if you haven't already listened to the Clark Atlanta episode, which is just fabulous and such a great group of humans and so many powerful questions and inquiries and digging into more on the energy and intention behind reclaiming wellness for the Black community. Please enjoy this episode live from NCAT. Hi, everybody. Y'all look so beautiful. So this is our last Reclaiming Wellness event. Wow. I want to say thank you to my team because they have done an an excellent job. Also, thank you to Impressions of Beauty um, for putting everything together. Also want to say thank you to Target because we wouldn't be able to do this without the partnership from Target. Um, in celebration of Black History Month and Reclaiming Wellness. Um, Super, super excited to have a conversation with these beautiful humans that I'm going to allow to introduce themselves in a second. Um, You know, but thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day um, to come and share space with us. We are in, we're doing this in celebration of Black History Month um, with an experience that we call reclaiming wellness, which is to us is all about exactly what it sounds like, right? The conversation that we're gonna be having today is about how these humans have reclaimed their wellness and also ways that, you know, that we can constantly think about it because it's really important. Um, wellness is, is wealth, right? A lot of times we think about wealth as money Um, But what is money good for if you're not well and able to use it, right? And so so I'm super excited. So can you guys introduce yourself? I'm going to start over here. Okay. Um, Hi, everybody. My name is Danielle Prescott, and currently I am an author and a DI consultant. I spent 15 years working for various 
fashion magazines. So I spent a lot of time thinking about fashion and beauty. Um, and now I consult with some of those very same companies and brands trying to help them become more inclusive. I love that that's a job now, by the way. <laughs> yes, first I was tortured. And now I get paid to get tortured. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Anim Awe. I am a licensed clinical social worker, clinical health educator, and a scrum master. Uh, but most importantly, I am the co-founder of Awe Support, which is a one-stop shop mental well-being organization that focuses and centers our work around black women and both trans and um, you know cis women we really want to create a we wanted to create a space where women can get access to career coaching mental health support um, you know you name it we got it and so we really want to help women ele elevate and level up and so that's what we're all about and how we support so I'm happy to be here Welcome back, Feminista. Hi, everyone. My name is Feminista Jones. I am a retired social, mental health social worker. Um, I am an author of a, book, of a few books, but my latest one is called Reclaiming Our Space, How Black Feminists Are Changing the World from the Tweets to the Streets. I am a PhD candidate at Temple University, where I also teach courses um, in Africology, uh, the black woman, the African-American LGBTQ experience. I'm queer as fuck. Um, I, I, I am a writer. I mean, you may have just read my latest piece with The Root talking about Jonathan May and Aesop Rocky, and it's called The Cock-Shaming Stupidity of Toxic Masculinity. Um, so I That's love- the title. Yeah, you know what? The editor came up with that because she was like, well, you know, what you, I don't know what we gonna call it. Just call it something. You know, the, just so y'all know that like editors make up the titles most of the time. You know, we just write the stuff. Um, so I am a freelance writer. Um, I'm a podcaster. Um, my podcast is called Black Girl Missing. It is the only podcast that focuses on black girls who have gone missing under the age of 18. Uh, we have three seasons. You can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And there's some other things that I do, but I also, wow, I need to rest more. I'm a public speaker also, so I go around doing wonderful things like this. Although these are my favorite. Like to be able to sit with black women, like seriously, like you can take the money from the white people and then you actually enjoy these, you know? Cause like what, like what Danielle was saying, like the DEI stuff, like you take their money and then you come have fun with your folks, yeah. right? So yeah, it's that's, that's awesome. So I should have said this when I asked you guys to introduce yourselves. Um, can you tell everybody how your wellness journey began? You know, I, <laughs> I, I thought about this last time. We, I don't think I got a chance to talk about that last time. My wellness journey, I think, began probably as a young person, but I didn't even realize it, but mostly jumped off in college um, when I ended up hospitalized um, from being too exhausted. Um, so I was experiencing mania, and I would go four or five days without sleeping. Um, just getting all my work done, doing everything. And I know some of you can relate to being like campus leaders and you're doing acting, singing, you're writing for the paper, you're in student government, you're doing all these things. You're also going to school, you're also playing sports, things like that. And I was just running myself down and ended up hospitalized more than once for that. And I was just like, okay, either I'm going to change something or I'm going to die. And um, that's when I started really becoming conscious about how I need to take better care of myself. And, um, and then going into social work after undergrad, uh, really started learning about self-care, which I'll, 
always remind people, we came up with that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for us as social workers who have to deal with people's trauma every single day, um, that notion of self-care is how do you take care of yourself so that you can go back to this job in a capitalist society and keep doing it, right? So social, being a social worker helped me learn how to take care of myself too. Well, for me, I think it started when I was really young because I, I my mother is Haitian and my father is Cameroonian. And so we had these practices. We had these sort of rituals, right? Particularly around New Year's, we did this cleansing bath. And so I, my mother would like make, that was like our thing. Like New Year's Eve, we couldn't go anywhere. We had to do this special thing. We had to clean the house. I think a lot of people are familiar with that practice. But then we had the special uh, cleansing bath. And so that kind of resonated with me and stuck with me. But in terms of like when I kind of got it for myself, I would say like when I was in grad school, funny enough, at, you know, master's in social work, I had my first sort of mental breakdown as well. And I realized like I was carrying too much and I couldn't do it all. And so I had to really had to have a sit down with myself and ask myself like, what am I, what, like what are the things that I can, carry and continue doing and what are the things that I need to kind of just let go so I had to quit my job and it was a hard decision because I was working for the government at that time and everybody's just like oh you're crazy if you leave that government job job. good old government (laughs) job right and I, I let it go and I'm so thankful I did that because I needed to do what's best for me and so sometimes it's hard to let go of like those glorious things but in retrospect, I'm so glad that I did that and I took care of myself. I prioritized the things that I needed to do. And so I think, you know, grad school, social work um, really helped me begin to focus and really um, understand the essence and true value of wellness and well-being and making that a priority for me. Um, I'm still on my wellness journey. It's something that I, it's evolving and I work on every single day. Um, I went to prep school in Greenwich, Connecticut. Which one? <laughs> Convent you... of the Sacred Heart. Really? Mm-hmm. And um, my freshman year, I developed an eating disorder, so I passed out at school. I fed on the steps, and I had to go to the hospital. And then after that, I had to engage in therapy, and that was like my first introduction to um, going to therapy and like talking about my problems. So as an adult, people would say, wow, you're so good at being vulnerable and, and so good at self-awareness and self-reflection. And I'm like, well, that is something that I have been conditioned to do for a very, very long time, although like I will not say that like I was healed after that experience. It took many, many years and many other incidences where my physical body was breaking down in various ways for me to like take it seriously. And so now I'm in my 30s and I am much more focused and I'm like feminista trying to embrace resting and trying to, you know, not feel guilt for not working, even though there's many things I want to achieve and many things I want to work on. Um, it's not something that I can do if I don't replenish you know, myself and I'm not taking care of myself. When did it fucking happen that we decided that we were just robots? That it's not natural to like, and look, I'm pot calling the kettle black. Desi is looking at me like right now, like, really, bitch? That's what you're going to say? But, um, but like, when did we decide that we needed to work our damn fingers and feet and minds to the bone? I think that that's such an interesting concept. It's definitely an American thing. Um, and I'd love to get, just from a couple of you, not everybody has to answer it, what are ways that people can take a second just to have a break? Because we, when we think about self-care, right, 
you know, you're like, it, it costs money. You gotta, you gotta go get your nails done. Are you gonna take a bath? And then you gotta buy a bunch of things for the bath. And then you gotta do, you know, or you're going to get a massage or you're going to get a facial. But like, you know, Feminista, we've been on a couple of these together and we've talked about this. Face care, or excuse me, self-care can literally be, you know what, I'm gonna take a nap. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, what you, what you were just asking about, like how did we get here? I know for me, it was experiencing homelessness and poverty as a child and that trauma of I'm never going through that again. And then when I had a child, like he's never going to know what it's like to come home and turn the lights on and they don't come on. And so for me, it was definitely a traumatic response and the pressures of capitalism. Right. But as you know, when we're thinking about this, it's like, but so what? Like if we don't do it, the world is still going to keep going on. They're going to find somebody else to do it. Sometimes we think, well, it's got to be me because if not, I'm easily replaceable. It does not matter. You could die tomorrow. They'll put somebody in the spot the day after. So is it worth it in the end? Right? And I, and I'm, and I say this especially to, to young people because your ambition is high. You want to take on the world. And you're dealing with a social media that's telling you if you don't do this by 25 or this by 30 or whatever, blah, 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 that, you know, there's, that you're not good enough or whatever. I am telling you to relax and breathe and take naps. You will find me 1.30 in the afternoon in my bed. People are like, what you doing in my bed? Don't you have papers to grade? I'm in my bed. And I, when I wake up, then I can actually do things better. Because why am I working with I a half that brain? That, I did right. that today. Right. I took a nap before this. Yeah. I was in the <laughs> hotel. Too. I was like, I'm taking a nap. Yeah. I asked I Twitter. It. Go look on my Twitter. I say, should I grade papers or take a nap? I I'm did. I'm going night-night. <laughs> yeah. I put on a sleep story. Yes. And I went down, boy. Yeah. Please get those sounds on your Spotify or Apple, like the rain and, and the woods and all those sounds. Let them take you away. Let them take you away. What were you gonna say? I had to convince myself that this was a good pursuit. I put it as one, one of my New Year's resolutions and I was shocked that today when I looked at my to-do list, I was able to cross off so much more stuff because I rested and for weeks, I mean, I have a stress rash right here. Like, I'm telling you, when I get stressed, it like comes out in physical ways. And so for weeks, I have been like stressed about all the stuff I have to do. And I'm like, wow, the world kept turning and I was also able to rest and I got everything done that I was supposed to get done. Mm. Okay, enough on the soapbox. But if you don't hear anything else today, Please understand that when your grandmother and your mother and your auntie and everybody said, and anybody that's watching this who's watched this before and who's seen any of these three that we did before this, I'm going to say it again. Stress can kill you. Stress can mess up your gut. Stress can throw off your hormones. Stress can, um, stress is where diseases get born, right? Repression and stress is is like when you're really holding things in and you're not being yourself and you're not saying what you need. Say what you need. If you need help, get it. If you need to talk, talk. Don't hold shit in because that does not do anything for you, right? You guys, you can still be great and take care of yourself. 
seriously. That is like the epitome of greatness, a human who can achieve wellness, who can achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, and then at the same time take care of yourself. That is the epitome, right? Um, Anim, I'd love for you to share with this beautiful A&T family, where did you get your perceptions of wellness from? You, you mentioned your mommy earlier. Um, and I also would love to know what goes in the bath, Ooh. if you can share it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So where did I get my perceptions of wellness from? I think, so I've naturally, I come from a family of healthcare providers. So um, in a lot of ways, like my, my older sister, I remember her taking us to her pharmacy courses when she was in pharmacy school. And my brother was at Harvard Medical School and he would take us to some of his courses. So I think that I got the exposure there. But what really happened for me was like, I was 15 years old and I'm from the city of Boston. And so I was working with the Public Health Commission. And so we ran this large campaign around osteoporosis. And so what, what I later found out is that osteoporosis primarily, like a lot of uh, you know unfortunate chronic conditions, impact black women and Asian women, the women at a high majority or a higher rate, excuse me. And so what what I gathered there was just like, there's so much opportunity to educate people around how to sort of balance things like stress, how to balance things like eating, how to balance things like work-life balance, because all those factors contribute to, you know, diseases. And so I got that exposure at a really young age and for me. And so that's what I've always been motivated to go out and teach the world about. And so, you know, moving forward, you know, I became a clinical health educator and just educated everybody around the campus with whole workshops and things like that. So it's just, it, I got that exposure really early and I've just been really passionate about it and just kind of been running ever since as in regards to the bath. So um, actually my mother just gave me the list late, earlier this year, but it's champagne, it's uh, parsley, it's lime, it's like two pennies, it's milk, and you have to put in a specific order. Um, and so it just signifies again, like you wash away the old sort of like bad juju and things like that and so and then you later on add the pennies and add the apples of course at the apples in addition and so that adds in yeah so then then that brings in the good joy or the good blessings for the new year so you have to kind of do it in uh, a certain order that's beautiful feminista your mommy was really pivotal in your wellness right no for sure um being raised by a queer black feminist was pretty helpful. Um, um, you know, my dad, <laughs> he dipped in and out, you know, as plays did back then. You know, I was born in the 70s. Um, my mother really, really, really held, held it down. And my, she was, one thing that I will say that I've learned from a lot of people is that there's a, there's a lot to be said about having someone who has your back from your family and in your house. And I realized that a lot of my peers did not grow up with a supportive parent who was like, you can do whatever you want. I support anything that you wanna do, whatever direction you wanna go, I got your back. What do you need? How can I make this happen? My mother sacrificed so much. I also went to prep school, that's why I asked. My mother sacrificed so much to make sure that I could get the best access to things, like to her own detriment. But what she showed me was that love that she had for me, and that's really all that I needed. I just needed to know that I was loved, especially as a young black girl growing up in the crack era, right? And going up, growing up at times where you, di you didn't know what was in store for you, to know that there was somebody that loved you and that supported everything that you did. And I 
have taken that with me and I'm with that with my son. My son wants to be a musician. I'm like, all right, what do you want to play? You want to do drums? I'll get you drums. I'll get you a piano. I'll get you a bass. I'll get you whatever you need. I'll get you lessons. You can do this. You, you want to take three music classes in high school? I don't care. Do whatever you want to do because this is what you said you want to do. And it's really important because that the effect on your mental health to know that you are supported by a parent or your parents is huge. And I know that there's some people in this room who may not feel that they that their parents support their dreams and that their and their goals or what have you, and it's okay. A lot of your parents are kind of you know we we the we just want you to win like because we know what you're up against. We may not necessarily go about it the right way, but when you have somebody in your back and in, in your corner constantly telling you you can do whatever you want, you can end up like me or you can end up like Kanye. I hope that you end up like me. <laughs> Because he always talked about Donda Wisdom. I was like, Donda girl, what, what did you say to him? At, you know, she had him gassed up. You got to gas up, you know, yourself, first of all. Gas yourself up, please, like every day. But my mother was very much like, oh, you want to study African-American studies? Go ahead, babe. You, you want to go to this school? You want to do this? Go ahead. I support you. You're wonderful. She would send me emails. I still have My mother died many years ago. Um, and actually, yesterday, I was just looking through my emails, looking at some emails that she sent me, because um, I've, I've kept them archived. And she would just be like, you're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. I would share like some of my earliest things that I wrote. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. Like you really have talent and I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, wow, that's so nice to hear. And so I was having some down moments yesterday and today and kind of going back and reading that from my mom was really, really helpful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Hi, mommy. <laughs> I know she's somewhere in this room. She's right beside. Nice. She's right beside. She's right beside. <laughs> she's like, stop you. telling people my business. <laughs> she's tired of me telling people her business. I like what you said um, because not all of our parents do support us, right? And I'm not making excuses for that because th th that's not the best thing in the world, right? Nobody wants to feel that. But I think it's important for us to remember that our parents are individuals. And sometimes they've been through things that have gotten them to the journey that they're on. Sometimes they didn't have somebody that talked to them, right? Um, sometimes they may have grown up with a parent who didn't support them. And so they don't necessarily know how to do it. I just wanted to say that because I think we should do better to give our parents grace, you know, um, and understand that they they are an adult and they're they're on an individual journey just like you are, you know. Um, but if you're in this room, right, and you you've you've made it, and, and or even if you're on this Zoom, right, and you've and you've managed to like live your life, and you have food, and you have water, and you have a house, or you have a roof, even if it's not your house right and you're well everything's going to be okay you know and i think even if you're not you know if you can tell yourself that everything's going to be okay um i just wanted to say that yeah. because no, for i sure. think it's important and i always invite people reach out to me if you mm -hmm. if your parents ain't doing it i'm old enough to be your mama <laughs> straight up like reach out to me um i mentor a lot of young people who have felt disconnected from their parents i'll be your surrogate parent i don't care like, I'll be there. So reach out for me. You know, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Like, please find me on socials. Reach out to me. I will.
That's dope. So, Danielle, on the conversation, I'd like to talk about the hindrances you experience and talk about in your book, mm -hmm. Token Black Girl. I love that name. And how these experiences change your perception of wellness. I think we'll probably get into this later, but um, there's so much in medical bias that prevents black women from being properly diagnosed. So for so long, I was able to hide my eating disorder because a lot of people thought, oh, black girls can't be anorexic. And um, that ended up working out for me, but also not working out for me health-wise. And then currently, I'm in a place where I had something wrong with me health-wise. I went to my doctor, went to my PCP, who was a black woman, and she said, oh, you're just overweight, so I'm going to prescribe you Ozempic. And I was like, she knows my medical history, knows everything about me, and thought that that was like, before even saying, I want to get you into a specialist. So I was the one who advocated for myself, and I said, I'd like to see an endocrinologist. I also then went to my gynecologist and told her something similar. And now on Monday, I have one of those terrible ultrasounds. I put the condom on the thing. It's the worst one, but I am able to advocate for myself and I I try to talk about this a lot because there are so many people who can't advocate for themselves or who don't know that like they couldn't say actually I don't want to be put on this medication or is there another person that I can go see um, and so I think it's really important that we like be very honest about these kind of struggles um, I think part of it is fibroids and not to get all woo-woo, but like, okay. <laughs> you know, um, your uterus is in your sacral chakra and you can hold a lot of trauma there. And I would say that like in the last three years, because I've been writing my book, which largely is about white supremacy and I'm constantly confronting white supremacy and the brands that I work with and the DEI work that I do. I'm like, I think the stress of that has grown these fibroids and I can feel them in my lower stomach. And that's what I was trying to communicate to my doctor doctor because that is the only physical symptom I really have like as an example to show her and she just wanted to be like oh you're just too big and I was like I know that's not true is absolutely beautiful thank you thank you it's ridiculous also Ozempic is not the damn answer what's gonna happen when you don't when you're not on on Ozempic exactly it's there's ridiculous. just not enough research on it and I was like I I also it's, been thin so I know that is not the answer you know the other thing is a lot of times when you're not able to lose weight, it could be because you have insulin resistance, right? Which is why they wanna put you on the Ozempic, but it could be because you have a hormonal imbalance. It could be because you're eating foods every day that your body is allergic to, right? And you can, it's expensive, something to put away for, even if it took you six months or a year to do it. You know, because I realize my audience, I'm talking to humans that are in college, right? But taking the ALCAT, which is basically a food and allergy list, basically you, you, um, you, you, you can look them up, they'll send you the paperwork, and then you can do a sample of your blood, and then they basically check you to see what you're allergic to, right? Um, a lot of people have gluten allergies, don't know it. A lot of people have dairy allergies, don't know it, right? Um, I just wanted to say that because if you have an insulin resistance problem, which I'm only saying this because I do, right? Um, you could do everything in the world to lose weight. 
you could be eating well, you can be working out, you can be doing all the shit, but if you have an insulin resistance problem or PCOS or something like that, then it will be hard for you to do it even when you are doing everything properly. So when your doctor and if your doctor tells you that you just need to lose some weight, have them run these tests on you to understand what's going on with your hormones, to understand what's going on with your insulin, to understand what's going on with your A1C and your cholesterol and all those things so that they can tell you the right story, you know? Can I also add that um, some weight gain can be related to trauma, um, particularly sexual trauma. Um, That's what happened to me when I was um, a teenager, and um, there was something in me that wanted to hide, and I put on the weight to hide, um, and rapidly gained weight, and like my body was protecting itself from not being appealing. Like it's a very weird thing, and you can, you can actually go and look it up. There are people that develop flaps in their stomachs to, that will hang over or cover their genitals or areas that have been you know, abused and things like that. So if you've experienced any kind of sexual trauma, um, domestic violence, things like that, these are things that can also contribute to weight gain you may not understand. And then one that has nothing to do with that, I actually found this out a couple of years ago. I had a hernia that was blocking my digestion and so I was eating but it wasn't coming out so it was in my body and I because I gained like 60 pounds in two months and it didn't make sense and so I finally went and they were like oh gosh here you go and then it melted off so they won't check these things if you don't advocate for yourself (laughs) and unless you use that good insurance that you got if you're still in your parents insurance or whatever you got Please get everything checked out and don't let them take no for an you know, don't take no for an answer. And if they say that they're not going to do it, make sure that they write in the chart that they decided not to test you for X, Y, and Z, so that if anything does happen to you, you have proof of um, medical neglect. Yeah, and just one more thing, like the other thing that I've been encouraging my clients to do as well is asking for full lipid panels as well, yes. particularly around yes. like vitamin D. Uh, those deficiencies are definitely linked to like depression, anxiety, and now we're understanding hair loss or hair thinning. It, it, it just gets so complex, so you, you definitely have to advocate for yourself. And if something doesn't make sense, that's when you can contact, you know, or hospitals should have health educators on staff so that they can break those things down so it makes sense for you, and you understand what decisions you're making or what you're walking away from potentially. And so making sure that you feel, you know, empowered in whatever decision that you're making as a, as a consumer into healthcare. Mm. And making lists when you go to the doctor, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And having somebody on the phone if you can't have somebody go with you, right? Mm. Um, Look, y'all, this is some serious adulting. (laughs) Isn't it funny we we have to do this as black women, though? Like, we have to take all these extra precautions when we go into the healthcare field because it was never designed for us. So we have to take extra elements or extra steps as, uh, as black people to go into the healthcare field. And that's not a thing that like it sucks that that's a thing but it's a thing right and so just like when you go just just take care of yourself and and be organized and be structured and if you have a doctor who doesn't hear you or doesn't value what you have to say understand that you can actually call your insurance and figure out how to find another doctor right like you don't have to necessarily go there um 
So I'd love to get your thoughts and name for folks going through the journey of growing themselves spiritually and physically. How do you guide humans in your work as a social worker? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I like to understand, well, my, I always say that my goal as a therapist or a social worker, I use the terms interchangeably, but is really understanding like where you want to go and where you're headed towards. And so making a plan together and making sure that your voice is uh, the center of that plan. And so when we're creating, you know, for technical purposes, treatment plan goals is that like, does this make sense to you, right? And and so like when we are working towards that, how do we know we've arrived? So always asking this magical question that, you know, how do we know that you've gotten to this point? How do we know that you're gonna reach? So what it really does is forces that client to take a step back and say, or at least process and try to just think about like, okay, what what like what is gonna look differently? Like what am we what are gonna be the indications that I've reached this point? So it's a collaborative effort. It's making sure that's realistic for this individual my idea of realistic doesn't have anything to do with it, but it makes sense for that person given the scenario, the environment, and all these type of elements that we have to take into consideration because this all impacts us on a daily basis. And so I never want to set you up for failure per se, uh, but being mindful of that when we're building those goals and working collaboratively. So I always want things to make sense for you. I always want you to be the center of your voice to be incorporated into this work that we're doing and making sure that it makes sense for you. So this, I think collaboration is the biggest thing. And like, again, with healthcare, your healthcare providers as a therapist, as a, a medical provider, making sure it's a collaborative effort, making sure that your voice is being represented and whatever the goals are, making sure that it makes sense for you. Like, how can I, you know, tell a person to uh, get a medication particularly and it's like inaccessible to them because it's so expensive and their copay is so expensive. That doesn't make sense given the situation. So it's really, it's, it's taking all these elements into play and really making it make sense for that individual that I'm working with. And so it's not a one-size-fit-all situation or model. So again, it's that individual, you're here, you're like, let's figure it out and let's make it make sense for you. That's beautiful. Feminista, your journey as a social worker really has led you into a very, very beautiful space. I mean, you I don't even know how you do so much stuff. <laughs> like, how do you how do you balance all of that? Um, you know, and then how did, how did the, social, the social work that you did mm -hmm. really set you up for mm -hmm. the moment that you're in now? Um, so when I, I went to undergrad at the University of Pennsylvania and I double majored in African American studies and sociology of deviance and law, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, a criminal defense lawyer. Um, and I just... I always joke and say I didn't want to spend the rest of my career lying, but you know, <laughs> so I was like, I, I know meme, I don't have the face. If I know you're guilty, I'd be like, he did it, Your Honor. This did it. <laughs> you know, I, that would be bad. So I went into social work. Um, I went, you know, went back to New York City. Um, I had experienced, you know, my own experiences with the same issues that I was going to be helping people with, and so I was driven by that. Um, when I got into social work, I was like okay, I was dealing with people that were houseless. Well, we realized that nearly one in two of the people that were houseless in New York City had a mental health um, you know, diagnosis or had not been diagnosed. They were, they were living with things. So I got more intensely into that. Um, and when I was getting my MSW, I was really thinking about like, how do we change the ways that organizations provide care? And I went into organizational leadership and management because I was like, there's not enough of us 
at the top making decisions for how we provide care to people. And I would sit in class or I would sit around people and they'd be like, these people, you people. And I'm like, you talking about me? Like, that's how I felt. So social work helped me get stay connected to my community and connected to like, you know, what the needs are. And that moved me into active like I started with activism in college but it went moved me back into activism I'm like we can't just sit here at a desk and like just you know write out things for people I have to be in the community so being a social worker and being an activist were things that were tied in for me and being an organizer you know organizational leadership that kind of stuff like having that vision to organize massive protests and organize these kinds of you know movements and stuff that came from that and the empathy social work really reinforced my empathy not just from my own lived experiences but from learning from the people that would sit in front of me and share their lives with me and do their goal setting with me and share their dreams and aspirations the empathy that i developed then when you talked about extending people grace, I am way more likely to do that now as a result of being a social worker. And then I learned to extend myself the same grace because I was never really that good at that. Um, but once I started embracing that and you know extending myself grace, I know that definitely came from being a social worker. Mm. Grace is a beautiful thing, man. It's hard though. No, it is. <laughs> Especially well because the money. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. There there's money in hustle. We wouldn't hustle if we didn't think that we was gonna get some return for that. Mm -hmm. And we live in a capitalist society, particularly a patriarchal capitalist society, getting money is at the forefront of most people's brains, right? So we're not gonna ignore that, right? We know that that's what you wanna do, but you gotta think of what you're willing to sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice your mental and physical health? Are you willing to sacrifice your spiritual health? Are you willing to compromise on your morality and your values to get that money? And some people are, but I guess what we're saying to you is that, in, take it from some older people, it doesn't, the, the math don't be mathing. It, it, it be doesn't, it don't, it don't, it don't translate. <laughs> Unless it's like really Because then you can't sleep. Then, yeah, you can't exactly. sleep because you all them damn demons in your mind mm -hmm. telling you, you know what you did was wrong. <laughs> and how are you sleeping right. when you did these really messed up things? So yeah, start thinking about your spiritual wellness now. Start thinking about, you know, the, the choices that you want to make now, the ethical choices that you want to make now and where you want to go. Mm -hmm. This is... No, I was just going to say, uh, you just made me think of something like hustle culture isn't practical. I mean, like this go, go, go mentality, you're, you're burning, you're just going to burn yourself out. Then at that point, you're no good to anybody. You can't show up for any of the obligations that you have going on, like whether it's family, friends, whatever it is, like you can only do that for so long. So then you got to take a step back and realize that again, it's impractical. What are the changes that I got to make? Yeah, real shit. So safe spaces. Um, I'm going to start with you, Danielle. How do we rebuild and foster safe spaces, um, particularly like where we are right now in the community um, and where we are with our connection with one another? How do we, how do you, what's your opinion on, on what we can do to create a safe space in an environment where you can go to the doctor and they can be like, you're fat, so here goes this drug that you need to come in here every week and get, like, you know, how, what are ways that we can do that to create space for ourselves? Well, I never had an experience like this, so I went to PWIs my whole life, so this is a key safe space. Say, tell people what PWI. Just oh, sorry, a predominantly white institution. So, um, you know, being in an HBCU that creates uh, a community that you're, you know, 
even with my current health struggles, just me sharing about it has then led to very close friends of mine that I would not have even guessed having told me, oh, I had fibroid surgery. Like four women told me that. And I was like, wow, if I had not shared that I was struggling with this, I probably would not have gotten that response. So being vulnerable, being open, being able to share your own struggles and also hear those of your friends and those in your community, I think is a really important foundation for setting up safe spaces. I mean, just to kind of go off of that, you know, as a black therapist who primarily and, you know, serves black women and BIPOC women, I got chewed up on TikTok actually a couple of weeks ago because I was, I made a post about something being a black therapist, like, you know, who holds space for black women and white women just went, you know, nuts. Uh, but I say all that to say, like, I am, you know, I, I always tell my clients, I want to make sure that I am creating a space where you feel safe, where you feel comfortable, where you feel like you can be your most vulnerable self. And if I'm not doing that, you need to let me know because that, that means I'm not doing a good job as a therapist. And so I, it, it's just important for us. We have unique needs. We have unique experiences. Like, again, we, earlier we highlighted the issues with uh, you know, the medical field and how it doesn't serve us as black people. Yes, exactly. And so cultural competency is important. Uh, trauma-informed, being trauma-informed. And not all therapists are trauma-informed, I mean, by nature of just being in the field. We know that, right? So I think be, those elements are really important for me. And that's why I strategically, and you, if you look at all my marketing, if you look at everything I do, is for black women, is for uh, women like us, because that, this is what we need. We need those safe spaces. We can't be our authentic selves just anywhere, unfortunately. Well, the HBCU campus allows for that, for sure. Um, but you know, outside in the world, it's not always safe for us. And so we need those spaces where we can show up as our true self so that we can ultimately get to that place of healing. Because if you can't be your true self, in a therapy space, you're never gonna get to that healing. Whatever that healing destination looks like for you, you won't reach that if you can't be your true self. And so, again, if I'm not, if I'm not creating that space where you feel safe, where you feel heard, where you feel empowered, where you feel like protected, then I, then it's no point. And so I, I tell them that if it's not working here, then I encourage you, please go out and find somebody that is gonna provide that for you. Maybe I may not be the best fit, but please, I like I encourage you to get that for you. It's also okay if it makes some white people angry because I, yeah, I did not have a TikTok situation, but I, I made an all black Pilates class to get to be able to get black women so into good. Pilates because I found that low impact exercise, like I used to do, I've done every single kind of exercise. I love exercise, mm -hmm. but I was doing exercises because I thought that's like how I needed to like lose weight and I was really torturing myself. And Pilates is one of them that I'm like, wow, like it's actually making me stronger and feel better. And I was noticing that I was, again, token black girl, the only black girl in Pilates classes. And it was because, yes, Pilates can be expensive, but the financial part of it was not the only thing that was intimidating to people. It was that being able to walk into that room because I had been quote unquote token black girl for my whole life. I was like, I don't care about this, but it was becoming a barrier to access for women. And I was like, wow, this can do so much good. So I'm going to create an all black Pilates class. And yes, that anchored several but white women. Can I ruffle feathers a little bit? Just a little bit. I saw it. It was like double Just dutch over here. She Just a little bit. Yes. So I don't want us to act like black spaces are automatically safe spaces, right. right? We want them to be. We want to know and feel that we have community with each other. 
but we ain't always in community with each other. And there's some people that suffer within our communities because of some views and things that we hold on to. Our queer people don't always feel safe. Women don't always feel safe, right? Poor people don't always feel safe, you know? We have to think about the ways that we make people feel unsafe in these spaces that are supposed to be, feel like home, right? They're supposed to feel like community, supposed to feel safe. And what I would advise to you is to you actually make a list of things that you know make you feel safe and kind of assess the people around you and whether or not you feel safe being around them. Can you speak your truth? Can you be embraced by people just for being who you are. When you mess up, do you have accountability partners? Do you have people that support you and gas you up when you're doing something? You, you win an award, they are there clapping and telling the whole world, or are they side-eyeing you? You come out and say, I'm a same gender loving person, do they embrace you? You know, you, you say somebody violated me in this way, do they embrace you, do they support you? These are the things I want you to look for because I think that when we start assuming that because spaces are black that they're going to be safe, we ignore some of the things that happen within our communities and within our families and our tribes and things like that that are actually not safe. So we can look at those things and then as we're continuing to work to build, because I'm all about community, trust me, I want us to build but also recognize that it may not be as easy for some people, you know, as it is for others. I think we have to be brutally honest with ourselves too, right? Because we project, we expect, right? We, it's hard to not um, see things through your own two eyes and two shoes, right? And, you know, to kind of extend what you were just talking about, Feminista, I think it's also important to understand and be honest with yourself in a moment where somebody wanted you to hold space for them, yes. right? And you weren't willing to do that, yes. right? And that is normal, you know? Are you the friend that has all the tea? Are you the friend that talks shit about everybody? Are you the friend, like, when we're on a wellness journey, you have to really get honest with yourself. Who are you? And what are you bringing to the world, right? And that, and, and also, how are you thinking, right? Do you look in the mirror and think, that, think a positive thought or do you look in the mirror and think a negative thought, you know? Do you, do you like yourself? That's the question. You know? That's the question, yeah. like... Do you like yourself? Yeah. Because if you don't like yourself, then how can you like anybody else? And if you right? don't like yourself, the stuff that you're projecting out, you don't even realize. Yeah. It's repelling people. Yeah. Like, you you know, some people say, you know, I don't know why people don't want to be around me. Well, yeah. what do you like about yourself? Right. I want y'all to think about that. You don't even got to answer. But think about it. Can you list at least 10 things that you truly like and love about yourself? Take that with you. Yeah. The other thing I'm just thinking about or want to just throw out there is also understanding where you sort of what place you hold in people's lives and being honest with yourself in regards to that because I think sometimes we set up expectations or we have these expectations that we don't necessarily communicate to our peers and so we end up letting ourselves down or it seems like they have let us down when in fact like 
they may not even be for us in that way or in the way we think it is. So we got to be honest with ourselves in regards to where we stand in people's place. Like I always say, like I know where I stand with everybody and, and I'm okay with that. I know who I'm going to go to to cry. I know who I can go to to, you know, just talk business. I know who I'm going to go to to, you know, chit chat, maybe go to the uh, party or day brunch or something and so that's just where I'm at and I think that's a hard uh, sort of lesson for people to learn and the sooner you learn it the better off you might be mm. yeah. that's a word mm -hmm. well unfortunately we have to wrap up our panel conversation um, this is it's crazy because it's, it's went by so fast um, but I do want to end it by asking all of you what does reclaiming wellness mean to you I'll go first. Uh, reclaiming wellness for me is making sure that I pour into myself on a daily basis and that I'm always my first priority and that it's okay to be selfish and that pouring into myself first or making sure that I'm in a, a healthy space, make sure that I'm good there, I can be good to everybody else. And so I do that and I have that selfish time and I prioritize my sleep. I, eat, I sleep eight hours a night. I take care of my body and my mind because I only have one. And so if I take care of it and do the best that I can every day, every single day, that it can continue to sustain me. And so it's being grateful or practicing gratitude every day that I wake up, whoever you believe or whatever you believe, just calling out and just thanking that person or that thing for waking me up that morning. Thank Thinking, you know, for being able to walk around the small little things of so practicing that gratitude. It's just being present every day in that moment, just being grateful for that moment. And so I think it can be hard to kind of, I think negativity happens and it, it can consume us. And so sometimes it's hard to get, get back to this place of sort of positivity and not toxic positivity, right? Not just, oh, you'll be okay, everything's all right. It's not that I don't allow myself room or space to kind of be down or be sad, but I don't allow myself to sit in that. And so for me, that's reclaiming my wellness. And it's a, it's a journey every day, every hour. And, it, and it's something that I'm building. It's like building a muscle, right? You work towards it every single day and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger so for me that's what reclaiming my wellness means i do that too i was like okay b you got two days to feel this <laughs> and then you got to get back to it you know let me have my moment let me cry <laughs> you're, allowed right. to, you're allowed to mope you just yeah. you know you kind of frame it and, yeah. and feel the feelings and then you go then i go for me um naps I don't sleep eight hours at night, right? I do, I'm usually a four and two person, so I may sleep four at night and two during the day. Um, and that actually works really well for me um, because I'd be like, I'll be up at three in the morning, I'd be like, yeah, but that nap that I know I'm about to get is gonna be, ooh, it's gonna be great. <laughs> you know, I think, I think I really do think about naps when I'm doing other things. I, I plot it. on naps. Like I really be like, wow, that bed is gonna be so warm. I got a weighted blanket. The pillows are gonna be situated. You know, CNN is gonna be playing. You know, I'm gonna pop this edible that just which is it. number two, like drugs. Um, that's how I reclaim wellness. I I don't go anywhere without my drugs. I take them every day. Um, and that's how I'm able to live as a black woman in America. Um, I'm keep it real, 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 real. Um, reclaiming wellness is about recognizing that I was already entitled to it and that I've been functioning in a world that wants to make sure I never know that I was entitled to that and that it's my birthright to be well.
And so reclaiming that is doing all the things that my ancestors were not allowed to do, like smile in public, wear my hair out when I want, dress how I want, get my nails done however I want, even when they call it ratchet or ghetto. If you knew how much money I made doing things like this, you'd be all right with my ratchet ghetto ass nails. Um, You know, I, I think about existing in opposition to oppression and I think about how I can work every day towards you know, dismantling things like patriarchy and and racism and homophobia. And it's by me being well. It's by me being able to get up again and talk to more people, teach more classes, write more books, reach more people, inspire more people, because that's where the liberation is going to come from. But I can't do it if I'm not well. So I got to reclaim that every day and drugs. Yes. Um, For me, reclaiming wellness means taking out the commodification of it. Like I mentioned, I worked at Fashion Magazine, so we were very guilty of telling you self-care is a face mask, self-care is a massage, self-care is all of these things that you have to buy into. And and being well like means all of that. And I had a friend who in the early pandemic, 30 years old, was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And that really like opened my eyes to see someone so close to me going through that because she was like, hey, Danielle, guess what? wellness is not for sick people it's only for well people and I was like what do you mean and she was like yeah like I have you know I had cancer in my lymph nodes and I so I went to get a lymphatic drainage massage and they were like oh we can't touch you like that's not for you um you know, it's only for people who don't have any issues with their lymph nodes. And so looking at my health as a blessing um realizing that like good quality nutritious food is fuel, investing in that, investing in napping, investing in alternative therapies like drugs, like psychedelic therapies, like in safe in in controlled environments. Like this is something that like I pursue and then tell people about because I want to make it more normalized. I'm like, if you have been traumatized, if you are going through something, there are so many ways that you can help. I'm also sober. I talk about like that I don't drink alcohol and a lot of people reach for alcohol, you know, as soon as they get stressed. Drugs. And, and exactly. I'm like, there are other drugs. There are other not ones. All, not all of them. Alcohol is a drug. Not all be specific. Right. Alcohol is a drug. <laughs> Let's keep it one. It's a drug. It is. When I say drugs, I say it flippantly like that because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't think that when you're getting your bottomless mimosas, you're using drugs. No, it is. It is. It, it is. is. Yeah. And so you just got to decide which ones are right for you. And hopefully it's the ones that grow out of the ground. Um <laughs> And you do it with a safe practitioner. But yeah, talking and thinking about these things, um, I think, is how I reclaim wellness. That's amazing. Well, look, y'all, this has been beautiful. And thank you to everybody that's on Zoom. Thank you for Zooming in. Um, Thank you guys for holding space with us. This was really, really, really beautiful. Again, thank my team. Thank you. The best, the best, um, you know, and thank yourselves, you know, like we, we made it. We're all alive, y'all, you know. Um, thank you, Feminista. Thank you, Anim. Thank you, Danielle. And uh, love you guys and take care of yourself.
We really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode with B and our incredible panel. We just know that this is such an integral part of empowering our community to reclaim their own wellness, connecting with your mind, your body, your soul, and moreover committing to community. And we are just so eager for this series of events to roll out in other places as well. And we really want to double down on conversations on vaginal wellness, sexual health, everything that you can find on the Honey Potluck. And we just can't wait to continue to bring this you. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're curious to learn more and or again, listen to our first live event recording at Clark Atlanta, just head over and check that out along with all of our other amazing episodes. And as we've promised time and time again, we will in fact be back for a season two. So we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for your ears. We love you. Happy Black History Month. Happy Black History every single day. And thank you again for tuning in. See you soon. Thanks for listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast by The Honey Pot Company made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, B. Dixon. And I'm your co-host, Javon Alfieri. We're so grateful to have you here. We love you. Mean it. Thoughts and experiences recounted in this episode are hosts' own. Dante Hodge is our live sound engineer. Lizzie Stewart is our producer. And Ina Garkusha is our supervising producer. This episode was mixed and edited by Matthew Ernest Filler. A major thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible. Thank you.